Good morning, folks. Um, as part of this morning's service, we're going to hand over to Graham very shortly, but um, I was keen to give you some announcements um, and get those done at this stage. So lovely to see you is the first thing. Second thing is, as we chatted about last week, there will be kids' ministry from nursery school age up during this morning's service. The slides will be all for P1, P2 and various things like that. There's less kids at this morning's service, so just towards the end of the children's hymn, if you make your way out through that door and to go up to the Toland Hall, if you're anything like me, you've no idea what the names of the halls are. So that's the wooden hall upstairs, the, the hall upstairs with a wooden floor, okay? So nursery and primary school age kids wander up there at the end of the children's song. Hopefully, um, most of you, if not all of you, will have received your voting papers if you are a voting member. They look a little like this. Um, you will understand that Graham is here today and will be preaching at the three services. Um, I would love you then to think about filling that in and posting that back as soon as possible. Um, I was looking up, I get a wee bit obsessed about some of these things, looking up Royal Mail delivery percentages for first class post. And they only, it's about 93% within one day, um, so I'm, I'm keen for you to get, get posting that. We in our house will be slightly chaotic, but the idea is we're going to fill it in tonight and post it first thing tomorrow. How about we all do that, and then that will keep me from getting even more grey hairs over the next few days. So please, um, please get that in. The deadline is Thursday at 5 p.m., if you haven't been able to post it in the next day or two, then we're more than happy for you to drop it into the church office, and um, then we'll be able to count the votes on Thursday. The other wee thing is, um, normally on Sunday services, we split our discipleship groups, and the difficulty is that over the last couple of months, that has mean, meant that one half of the church hasn't necessarily been able to see the other half of the church. So what we're going to do is mix those up a wee bit. Given that this was a DG Amnesty Week, that means then we're starting afresh next um, Sunday. So what that means is that the new Ruta, um, and I'm going to get this the wrong way around, but the new week A is Alistair's group, Dan's group, Philip's group, Mark's group, my group, and Dave's group. And then week B is Stuart, Rachel, Ricky, Johnny, Rosie, and Brian. That's all very complicated. That's the kind of thing you're going to want to look at the email about, but it's just to say the weeks have changed, so have a wee look at that, and then we'll hopefully change them again after Christmas to make sure that we're able to see um, lots of different people in the church family. Final wee thing is, if you had the good fortune to watch a bit of rugby yesterday afternoon, you'll have enjoyed seeing Ireland um, do well against Japan. The only thing I think you would agree that was missing is that you weren't able to do that with some other men from the church community, and you weren't able to do that with some food. Um, given the quality of that rugby, you're desperate then to come and watch Ireland play New Zealand next Saturday afternoon, in the, and we're going to watch that together um, in the church hall. So please, again, just with COVID precautions and so on, um, we need you to sign up so we know about numbers and all of those kind of things. So if that interests you, please get on to Church Week and let us know whether you're able to attend. Folks, I was chatting with Graham earlier in the week. This is a, a funny, funny 
weird process that we've been through as a congregation. And what I wanted to do was take a couple of minutes just to sort of introduce you to Graham. It's a bit of a taster for the interview that's going to happen at the evening service, um, but it's to, to introduce you to Graham, acknowledge that this is a weird process for all of us, and then pray for Graham before we hand over to him. So Graham, the first thing is, you're, you're no stranger to East Belfast, is that fair to say? Um, you hear me? Yeah. Uh, yes, I uh, grew up in Mount Pottinger congregation uh, down Castleway Street. Um, so the first 18 years of my life was uh, in Mount Pottinger. Our family lived in Hollywood, but uh, my mum and dad were from East Belfast. They grew up here and we uh, kept coming back to Mount Pottinger. So that's, yes, no, no stranger to this area. I do remember delivering Christmas cards for the BB all around BT4. I think because we lived in Hollywood, we got BT4. Uh, that was it. So I remember doing a lot of that, getting lost in Wandsworth. Kind of um, okay, and then school-wise, you were a Sullivanite, which some yes. of us, that's, Sorry. Some of us <coughs> that's a positive, some of that's a negative. Yeah. But um, yeah, so, and you had a new one, Stanley Mills and folks like that through Very Sullivan I, I, I met Desmond McKibben out for his morning walk there just as I was coming into church. I didn't know whether to call him sir or not. <laughs> We all do, so yeah, that's entirely the way to behave. Um, and then, final thing, I suppose, one of the wee things in the application form is you'd mentioned park runs, and you do a bit of park running. Um, I had threatened to ask you what your PB was this morning, but, um, you know, so... I got a false PB a week ago, because they shortened the course, because there was flooding, so... But I'm going to claim it anyway. It was 21.25. So, nice. Uh, good work. Good work. Um, so, Graham, as we've said, I suppose that what we want to acknowledge is that this is a weird, a weird service um, because there's there's sort of nervousness, apprehension, excitement from you and, and all of us. Um, and I suppose, yeah, we want to acknowledge that at the heart of this, not only are we listening to you and discerning what God might be saying to us about that part of the process, but also we, we are acknowledging that the same Holy Spirit that was active in the lives of the folks in Acts is here today and going to enliven God's written words so that we can be challenged and, and hear more from him and how better to live and serve him. And so we want to pray for you and then I'll hand over to you and um, then we'll, we'll run on through there, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you've given us your word, and your word is alive and active, that the same Holy Spirit who was transforming lives um, in Acts is the same Holy Spirit that can make your scripture come alive. And so this morning we recognize that there's a process for us as a congregation, but also we want to open our hearts and our minds so that we hear you speak to us through your word, um, and so that we learn more about you, we learn better how to serve you, and we learn more how to build your kingdom here and now in the place that you have us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Gareth. And uh, yes, this is a weird process. If you think it's weird for you, um, it's particularly weird for, for me as well. But it's lovely to be here and to be at this stage of the process and to be able to, to worship together with you this morning in Kirkpatrick. As we come to our, our call to worship, uh, I want to read from what is the shortest psalm uh, in the whole of the book of Psalms, but also the psalm with one of the biggest visions uh, for God's people uh, throughout history. Uh, it's a psalm which calls people 
from across the globe to recognize who God is uh, and to declare his virtues and his character. It's from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. We come to worship uh, a loving, gracious, and faithful God. As we do that, we sing together uh, our first hymn, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord. Let's join together in prayer. Let us all pray. Lord, our God, we set aside this time to gather in your presence, in the presence of the Holy One, who is set apart from us in purity and sinlessness. Gather in the presence of the Maker of heaven and earth, the all-powerful One who provides for us every day in ways we can't expect or deserve. We come to gather in the presence of the true God of every nation, tribe, and people. The one who is sovereign over all that you have made. The one who is faithful to his promises from eternity to eternity. We gather in the presence of the three-in-one God, who is our Father, our Rescuer, our Comforter, who is gracious, loving, and kind, and whose depths of mercy are unfathomable. And we gather in your presence, O God, Recognizing that at this time we come to confess our failure before you. Our failure to worship you as we should in our whole lives. Our failure to welcome others as we should. Our failure to witness to your saving grace in Jesus Christ as we should. Let us turn to you afresh today for forgiveness and enable us to pray honestly that your will would be done, that your kingdom would come in our lives, in your church, and in our world today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Boys and girls, I've brought something along with me just to help you, I suppose, to get to know me a little bit more as well, and to share with you some of my favorite things. Now, I have a number of favorite things. Um, uh, first of all, I have a favorite comic book character. I'm wondering, wondering if you're going to help me this morning. I'm wondering if you're going to ask me, does anybody down there have a favorite comic book character? It might not just be the boys and girls. Anybody have a favorite comic book character? Anybody want to tell me what it is? What was that? Dennis the Menace. That's a bit of a throwback. But that's a good one, because mine might be even more of a throwback, possibly. Uh, okay, Dennis the Menace. Okay, what about the superheroes? Superheroes are also comic book characters, so 
Who's an Iron Man fan? Anybody? Okay, excellent. Got some Iron Man fans. I noticed it was two ladies there. Is that Iron Man or Robert Downey Jr.? I'm not quite sure. Um, okay, so Iron Man, Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, all those kinds of things. We love all... I'm going to share with you my favorite comic book character, and he's none of those. Uh, he's called Asterix. I have... There he is. I have all the Asterix books. And do you know what? I, uh, Asterix... For those of you who don't know, and lots of you boys and girls won't know, he's a French comic book character, and basically he drinks a magic potion and goes about beating up lots of Roman soldiers. It's set way, way back uh, in Roman times, and he goes about beating up lots of Roman soldiers, okay? This is Asterix, uh, and I'm such an Asterix fan that I even have some of the books in French. Uh, that's the Asterix book in French. So that's, so yes, nerd, okay. Um, so the next one, favorite football team. Now, I know the favorite football team of one or two people in this congregation already. This gentleman, where everybody knows Monty's favorite football team is Man City. Uh, there are one or two Leeds fans in the congregation I know as well. Um, what's your favorite football team? Somebody, somebody shout one out. There must be. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> anybody, any others? Manchester United. What was that one? What was that one? Good man. Well done. Okay. Uh, yes, Arsenal, my favourite football team. Uh, they're doing better than they were, thankfully, which is good to, good to know. But yes, Arsenal is my favourite football team, so you can make what you want of that. Um, favourite sweets. Does anybody have a favourite sweet? A sweet they really, really like? Anything in particular? Cadbury's Roses. Okay, chocolates. Excellent. Yeah, is there somebody down there? Haribo. Uh, well, mine are very close to Haribo. I'm going to show you my favorite sweets. Midget Gems. Always will be. And it has to be Lion Midget Gems. It has to be the ones with the licorice black ones. All right. Uh, Lion Midget Gems. Those are my And the great thing about these, you used to not be able to get these for a long time in lots of places. Now every spar has them. They're brilliant. So Lion Midget Gems, those are my favorite sweets. Okay, last one is my favorite book, apart from this one, the Bible. My favorite book, uh, maybe lots of, maybe some of you older boys and girls, maybe Harry Potter, uh, maybe uh, other books like that. My favorite book is a little bit like that. It's, uh, it's The Lord of the Rings. It's my I've read The Lord of the Rings about three or four times probably in my life. It's, it's, I just love it. I think it's brilliant. Um, so that's my favorite book. It takes a while to get through, but it's, it's really, really good. So those are some things about me that, that are my favorites. Now I'm going to show you one more picture um, up on the screen uh, because these are my boys, my two boys. Now you're not able to see their, their faces. That I think they probably would have... This is the picture they definitely would have preferred me to show you, I think. Um, so that's... Now, which one of those is my favorite? They're not here. They're coming to the second service. They're not here at the moment. Um, neither of them, all right? Neither of them. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be the right thing to have a favorite between the two of them. Uh, it's not right to have a favorite child. So whenever you think... Whenever God looks at us... Do you think God looks at us and he sees some people who are his favorites and some people who aren't? 
Does he say, I really, really like those people in Ballyhackamore, but I'm not so fond of those people up in Dundonald? Does he prefer people from Northern Ireland to people from England? Does he say, I really like those people who speak French, but not so much those other people who speak Spanish? Of course he doesn't. Of course he doesn't. The most famous verse in the Bible tells us that God so loved the world, that is, the whole world, so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God doesn't have favorites, but he loves every single one of us, every single one of you, more than you could ever imagine. In fact, as our next song is going to tell us, he has known us and he has loved us since before the world began. That's how long he's loved you. That's how much he's loved you. So we're going to uh, sing that song just now, and then during, uh, towards the end of that song, you're going to go out to, to Sunday Club um, and, and to your activities there. Do we sing it through? How many times do we sing it? Till it stops. Okay, fair enough. Let's stand and, and praise God. continuing uh, the series this morning that you've been looking at in the book of Acts, and we're reading uh, from Acts chapter 10 this morning, uh, and verses 1 to 33, and then this evening we'll be looking at the second half of this incident, uh, where, which marks a major step change for the work uh, of the gospel. We'll read from Acts 10, beginning at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, sent men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. 
They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Sent for me. Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Amen. At home I have a book entitled, Days That Changed the World. It lists a number of events throughout history, from the the Battle of Salamis that most of us have never heard of between the Greeks and the Persians way back in 480 BC, right up to the 11th of September 2001, a day that changed the world that all of us live in. Some of the events listed in the book are obvious, obviously world-changing, and were obviously world-changing at the time, like 9-11 or Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. But for others, it's only clear after a period of time that they were world-changing events. Isaac Newton registering at Cambridge University in 1683, for example. Only later on would it become clear what an impact that particular student would have on modern science. Or the assassination of Franz Ferdinand in 1914, the event that lit the blue touch paper that led to a series of events that led to the First World War. Some events that I would consider world-changing don't make it into the book. A young woman called Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama on December the 1st, 1955. Or even a father from Enniskillen called Gordon Wilson choosing to forgive the man who murdered his daughter in November 1987. The event that we're thinking about today from the book of Acts is no less a world-changing event than any of those. 
at the center of this particular seismic event is one man choosing to step over the threshold of another man's house. It is the simplest, most ordinary, most everyday act you could possibly imagine. But it changed the world. Because the threshold being crossed is on a front door in first century Caesarea. And it belongs to a Roman military officer. And the person crossing the threshold is an Orthodox Jew called Simon Peter. It's because of these two men and because of who they are that this event takes on a significance of earth-shattering proportions. Peter was entering the home of someone he would previously have despised. He was breaking bread with someone or he would go on to break bread with someone he'd always been taught to think of as less important than a feral dog. Peter is taking this earth-shattering step because he has made a discovery that has turned his entire view of the world on its head. And it's because he takes this step that you and I are meeting here today. Ever since he became a disciple of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom of God has kept confronting Peter, kept turning his world upside down. He's had to learn that God's kingdom comes through weakness, not power. He's had to learn that salvation comes through a death on a cross, not through a a mighty military act or a, a spectacular act of God. He's had to learn that when the risen Jesus commissioned them, he was serious when he said that they were to take the good news to the hated Samaritans. And now he's learning exactly what Jesus meant by that phrase, and to the ends of the earth. At every turn in his discipleship experience, the gospel has upended Peter's previous convictions. And now it happens again. And it doesn't just happen to Peter. In this passage, the gospel will also confront Cornelius. In fact, if we take it seriously, the gospel will, with alarming frequency, reveal all of our blind spots, confront our previous attitudes, and turn our worlds upside down. I want to suggest there are two things that particularly uh, the gospel particularly confronts in this passage. The gospel confronts our religious traditions and our cultural prejudices. The gospel confronts the religious traditions that Peter had been brought up in and that Cornelius had adopted as his own. Both of them needed to be confronted in this way. Cornelius, an Italian officer, Uh, stationed in Palestine, had apparently become so attracted to the religious practice and the ethical standards of Judaism that he had left behind the pagan Roman gods. He'd become a God-fearer. He was devout in the practice of his newfound religion. He was regularly to be found in prayer. He was sympathetic and generous to the local Jewish community, presumably giving his gifts to the poor through the local synagogue. But none of this would have changed Peter's opinion of Cornelius. He was still a Gentile, still unclean, still despised, still hated. 
Peter may have been a disciple of Jesus, a commissioned apostle, a leader in the early church, but he was also still an Orthodox Jew. And his traditional attitude to Gentiles had not changed one bit, at least not yet. But both these men are about to be confronted by the gospel. Cornelius will be confronted by the news that his new religious and ethical practice, while commendable, is not enough. He needs to embrace Jesus as his only Savior. And in order to do that, he needs to hear about Jesus from Peter. And Peter is about to be confronted by the realization that all those religious traditions designed to enhance the view of Gentile inferiority are completely wrong. He needs to recognize that Jesus is Lord of all. And in order to do that, he needs to bring the gospel to Cornelius. And as usual, if you know the story of Peter, it's Peter who takes the most convincing. Although he's already breaking Jewish traditions by staying at the house of a tanner, a man whose entire livelihood revolved around dealing with the skins of dead animals that would make him unclean. Even though he's already doing that, Peter is slow to see how the gospel is breaking through his religious traditions. Three times, the sheet full of unclean animals is let down from heaven. Three times, Peter is commanded to kill and eat. Three times he says, surely not, Lord. Now, Peter, it's safe to say, has form here. Twice before in his discipleship journey, he has said, surely not, Lord. Once when Jesus predicted his death, and once when he knelt down to wash Peter's feet. You would have thought that by now, Peter, the spirit-filled leader of the apostle group, would have known that the phrase, surely not, Lord, is a contradiction in terms. He can't say it. But that's just Peter. He's just like us. Sometimes Peter requires the sledgehammer approach before he really gets what God is doing. Sometimes I require that. Actually, most of the time I require that. And what God is doing here is overturning centuries of religious tradition. The cleanliness laws of Israel were not designed to produce a sense of, of superiority over the Gentiles. They were simply a marker of Israel's devotion to the covenant God, not a reason for anti-Gentile prejudice or pro-Israel pride. The gospel of Jesus always stands against religious sectarianism and superiority because it tells us that no religious tradition can save us. Not Presbyterianism, not Catholicism, not Anglicanism, Methodism, or any other ism. Only faith in Christ brings salvation. But we need to watch out because new traditions that demand our total devotion can spring up almost overnight. The old tradition of organ music can very easily become the new tradition of the praise band. The old tradition of metrical psalms and 19th century hymns can very easily become the new tradition of Hillsong and City of Light. The old tradition of the clerical collar can very easily become the new tradition of the open neck shirt. I'm getting used to this. 
We may have dispensed with certain old practices or customs or styles and labeled them outdated, but we cannot become so attached to the new traditions that they just take the place of the old ones and become just as or even more excluding than they were. The gospel will not allow it. Because any merely human tradition which exalts itself and those who follow it above faith in Christ and Christ alone is anti-gospel. Any tradition that says you've got to dress this way, sing these songs or follow these man-made rules before you can come in is anti-gospel and does not serve the kingdom of God. Any merely human tradition where those who follow it count themselves as superior or chosen or God's favorites is anti-gospel and will end up excluding people for whom Christ died. And this is what had happened with Peter's religious tradition. And it had to be confronted by the gospel. The second thing that the gospel confronts is our cultural prejudice. As soon as Peter's vision ends, the delegation from Cornelius arrives. The timing is, of course, perfect. And for Peter, the penny begins to drop. The religious tradition to which Peter had, become, had been devoted had become nothing more than a cover for this cultural prejudice. And that cultural prejudice now had to be challenged by gospel reality. Wherever in the world we've been brought up, we are all shaped by the culture around us. People across this island have different cultural prejudices. Perhaps the controversy to mark the centenary of Northern Ireland demonstrated that to us. Different cultural prejudices coming to the fore. Northern Ireland, of course, has certain cultural prejudices in its different communities. Each community within Northern Ireland has certain cultural prejudices that are laid bare on a regular basis, either up on the hill or in the streets of this city. 21st century Europe has cultural prejudices that affect how we view people from other parts of the world. Different nations within Europe have their own cultural prejudices. That was pretty clearly demonstrated through the Brexit process. The thing is, it's really easy to spot the cultural prejudices of other people or people groups. It's not so easy to spot our own. And that's where the gospel comes in. Every human culture needs to be confronted by the gospel. Whether it's a religious culture or a secular culture, a progressive culture or a conservative culture, a unionist culture or a nationalist culture, a working class culture or a middle class culture, a traditional culture or a contemporary culture, the culture of Ballyhackamore or the culture of Ballygrenny. The gospel will expose and challenge our cultural blind spots until we conform to God's view of the world and those around us. It's the gospel revealed in Jesus Christ, contained in the pages of Scripture, that needs to inform all of our views on the cultural issues of the day, be they race, religion, culture, gender, sexuality, politics, nationality, or a host of other things. So how do we allow the gospel 
to confront our cultural prejudices. Well, first, we're obedient to God's Word. When Peter heard God's Spirit instructing him to go with Cornelius' messengers, he obeyed. Penny was beginning to drop. All those barriers between pure Jews and unclean Gentiles were simply a thin veneer for Peter's cultural prejudice against non-Jews. They were just a means by which Peter could justify a sense of cultural superiority so that the covenant or that the covenant was never intended to give him. Obedience to God would not involve erecting cultural barriers, but rather opening up the way for these Gentiles to be included along with the Jews in the new covenant established by Jesus. Obedience would involve welcoming the stranger, the outsider, the foreigner, and showing them hospitality. And obedience to God involves taking cultural risks. Not only does Peter welcome these men into his home, the next day he goes with them back to Caesarea to meet with Cornelius. Acts 10, verse 25, is that world-changing moment in this passage. Luke describes it very simply because it's a very ordinary, everyday act. But for Peter, it was an enormous risk. We are simply told, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him. As Peter entered the house, for the first time in his life, Peter has crossed a Gentile threshold. He has entered a Gentile home. It is an enormous risk. Perhaps some of you can remember when Princess Diana held the hand of an AIDS patient in a hospital. Or more recently, when the Queen shook hands with Martin McGuinness. Or when F.W. de Klerk went to meet Nelson Mandela to discuss how he would be released from prison. Cultural risk-taking. Moments that could result in a significant loss of credibility from your own family, tribe, or people. And Peter's taking that risk here. But he's doing it in the name of Jesus Christ and for the sake of the gospel. And more often than not, risk-taking presents an opportunity. After correcting Cornelius's too high view of him, Peter explains why he has taken this unusual step and asks why he was invited in the first place. Cornelius, in turn, explains how God spoke to him in a vision, how he gathered his whole household to meet Peter, and how he's longing to hear the message that Peter's been given. Gospel opportunities emerge as cultural risks are taken. What are the risks God is asking you and me to take for the gospel? Are we ready to have our blind spots exposed and confronted by the gospel? Are we prepared to put our reputations, our religious tradition, our cultural prejudice on the line for the sake of the gospel? Are we prepared for rejection, slander, misunderstanding, even from within our own tradition or culture? Are we prepared to stand up for both the wrong attitudes of the past and the misguided culture of the present in the name of the gospel? It will require obedience to God's word. It will require cultural risk-taking. But with God on the ground alongside us, it will result in opportunities that only he can give for gospel and for kingdom. Let's pray. Lord our God, 
confront us today. Show us those places where you need us to change our minds, our attitudes, the way we feel. Help us to take the risks that you're calling us to take, to grab the opportunities you send our way, and to do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together a song which is a response to God's calling of us, I the Lord of sea and sky. Let's come together and join in our prayers for others. Let's all pray. Lord our God, we give you thanks for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which frees us from sin, rescues us from death, and breaks down the barriers between sinful humanity and a holy God, as well as the barriers we erect between us. We pray for the excluded who simply want somewhere to belong. Show them how in Christ you embrace all who come to him in faith. We pray for the unwelcome who long to be shown warmth. Show them your welcome, the welcome you give to those who are sinners. We pray for the outsiders who are suspicious of what goes on inside these walls. Show them in us a hope and peace that makes them curious to know more of Jesus. We pray for the strangers who are struggling to get used to the language, culture, and expectations of a strange land. Show them through your church that you're the God who welcomes the stranger and who cares for their needs. We pray for the unloved, who long for human contact and compassion. Show them in yourself a love that knows no end. Show them in your church a people of grace and kindness, as well as conviction and strength. We pray for those who hide behind barriers of culture or tradition that prevent them embracing the other. Break through our blind spots. Break down our habits until we see others as you see them. We pray for those so convinced of their own worthiness that they cannot see their need of a Savior. Show them the depth of their need of rescue. And show them Jesus. Finally, we pray for those who need wisdom in the coming days. Grant us your Holy Spirit to lead us in your will and in your paths. For it's in the name of Jesus, the King and Head of the Church, that we pray. Amen. Our final song is, You Alone Can Rescue, You Alone Can Save. As we close our service, can we bless one another with the words of the grace? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.